Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Renee Wynn, the NASA outgoing Chief Information Officer. Sounds weird to say that, but uh, this is uh, in many ways an exit interview. So first of all, Renee, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us before you uh, uh, retire into the sunset, so to speak. Well, Jason, thank you very much for inviting me to do this. I'm uh, actually very excited about doing this because we've done some great things at NASA, and this is a chance to share some of what we've been able to do and maybe even get a glimpse into what's coming at NASA. There's always something happening at NASA, so I'm sure there's a lot to talk about. But let's start with you for a second. You've been in government 30-plus years. Why did you decide to retire now? And, of course, what comes next? So why did I retire now? I want to open with I am perfectly healthy I've even had genetic checks. That's how come I can say that I am perfectly healthy. And it means that I still have a lot of energy, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what I can do. For me, what's next is I'll be seeking a position in the private sector. I haven't even started on that. What does that need to look like? My focus here is sort of tapering a little bit, using from my training days and being able to turn over the reins to whomever will follow in my footsteps and try to make that transition as smooth as possible. And coming to this decision uh, to retire was a series of decisions is how I would put it. Uh, As most of us do, as we reflect on the close of a year, I was closing in on my five-year anniversary here with NASA, and I knew that I had selected that in advance as a point to reflect on where do I want to go with the five-year mark. As I thought about that, I realized that July 2020 was in the midst of a key decision point for the next wave of transformation of IT here at NASA. And in this effort, what we're doing is we're evaluating IT resources, the people and the dollars across all of the centers to see what of those resources needs to be part of a larger NASA CIO organization. So it wouldn't be just the center CIOs reporting to the NASA CIO. It would be them and their entire organization and the dollars associated with running that organization and the tools within that organization are also coming to the NASA CIO. So it's very exciting to be part of that. And one of the key decision points would be in July. And as I lined that up, I said it would be really unfair for me to decide in July of 2020 that I was ready to retire. So I backed up my decision uh, to the December timeframe, December 2019, since I was going to take some time off. And it was in that time that I really reflected as to what I wanted to do, what's next for me, and whether that meant that I was going to do this transformation. And it's about, my estimate is about three years to get to a comfortable landing point. So that would make it about 2023. And I said to myself, "Do can I go three more years at NASA and deliver on this, the implementation of our transformation in that? And Jason, quite honestly, I said, no. I, I couldn't see myself going to the end of this. And so I said, then maybe I shouldn't be leading it into its next set of decisions. So I knew that then July was not a good time to make a decision like that, and I just backed up and said, well, I think sometime this spring so that I can get into the new year, help do some transition, try to make things as smooth as possible. 
And then how did I even come to the date of March 31st? Quite oddly, I went and got my parking pass, and my parking pass expires March 31st. I said to myself, let me just make this my last parking pass. And so that's how I selected March 31st. There's always a sign that somehow comes up that that says to you, (laughs) the parking pass, let let that lead the way. No, but that's a a great piece because you're right. I mean, if you sign up for a parking pass for – you know, April, May, June. Okay, now it's into June. Well, then you're pushing that July d- deadline. So you, you, you're about to talk a little bit about what's next for you. You said another job in the private sector. My, my question would be federal side, not federal side. Have you, you, you may not even have decided yet. I haven't really decided yet. I have benefited from the wisdom of so many folks. I've started to talk to folks about what is the private sector? What do people do in the private sector? And I do get to hear a lot. Well, you know a lot about how two agencies operate, the Environmental Protection Agency and NASA. That is knowledge that many would benefit from, and and you could help a business do that. So that is certainly a path that I can consider. Maybe a smaller scope CIO job, right? That could be in my future. But I don't know yet. What I need to do is, is get serious about what my what's next. But I think what I'm going to do is focus on the transition, then begin to focus on my what's next. And in between time, I'd love to have a month to hang out with my husband, not have to get up at 5 a.m., not have to work late and into the weekends, and that just for a little while. I don't want to break the habits and then get pursuing my future. And I'm thinking about my future in three phases because I'm hoping to live a really long time. I told you at the beginning I was healthy. I break it up into phases in that way. I think it's uh, not so daunting to think about what am I going to do the rest of my life? It's more what am I going to do for the next three to five years? And then how does the next three to five years get fed by the current and so on and so forth? And I do hope to link phase one and phase two together. Phase three is much more amorphous. I could decide to teach. I could decide to just travel the world or maybe I'll just be a coach for some little league team, or maybe I'll do all of those things in phase three. But for now, what I'd like to do is is gain some private sector experience and then maybe even get selected for some corporate boards. I got a little experience in cybersecurity and IT management, so I hope to be able to take that and benefit other companies. You may you never know. If you take that month off, you may enjoy it so much, you may say, I'm going to take another month off. And then all of a sudden, six months later, you're going – this retirement thing is not so bad. Who knows, really, right? Right, Jason, you could. But remember, I've got somebody else at home, my husband, who retired as well. I know that at the end of the furlough, where I was working from home the whole time, kind of looked at me quite lovingly and said, I'm kind of glad you're going back to work. You're messing with my routine. <laughs> there you go. Very good, very good. Now, let's look at your federal career a little bit. You spent the last, I think you said, five years at NASA, and before that you spent something to the effect of 24, 25 years at EPA. Walk me through your career a little bit, and you know, those are the two main places you worked in the federal government, or is there a third one that I, or a fourth one that I'm missing? There, there were two, although there was a brief stint when I was in college as an intern at USDA. That was the two and a half months that you get off in college, which isn't much time as well. But 25 years with the Environmental Protection Agency, and by the time I walk out the door, it won't be quite five years at NASA. It'll be four years and I think nine months. But it would be the longest-serving CIO at NASA since CIOs existed as a position. 
So I think a few highlights of my career are, one is the incredible people that I've met that really, truly dedicate themselves for the benefit of the public. So at EPA, the benefit of the public is clean air, clean water, safe places to live, safe pesticide use, and that. And that's where I took a step from the private sector. I worked for Booz Allen at the time as a contractor to EPA. Didn't really know much about EPA. That was my client. And I fell in love with the mission. And that's when I worked a couple of years with Booz Allen, and then I was offered a position at EPA. And I loved every minute of being at EPA. I got to do some incredible things and meet some amazing folks, Uh, learn about the history, the Cuyahoga River catching on fire. Unfortunately, my son has never seen something like that, and I'm really glad that's something he's never had to experience, and the generations around him as well have been able to experience some real benefits in the focus of environmental protection. I think they're good economic benefits. But when I was there at at EPA, one of the things that was really exciting is I worked on federal facilities, those that were the most contaminated, and I got the opportunity to work on closing bases. Uh, The United uh, Department of Defense worked on five rounds of base closures, and I got to work on policy matters associated with each of those five areas. And quite by happenstance, I got to do something I never would have imagined and that was the cleanup of unexploded ordnance. Is as the United States government was thinking about property leaving its control and custody and going into the private sector, and if that land had been used for target practice or to store ammunition, we had to really look at it in a little bit different light than you would with a PCB contamination. Many times with a PCB contamination, you could just dig out the contamination and and monitor it for a while and it should be good for the, the health of the land and, and whatever reuse might be built on top of it. Unexploded ordnance a little bit differently. If it's actually been used as target practice, it could get embedded pretty far into the earth, and you may not see it. You may detect it. But do you want to spend the money digging up money on, on exploded ordnance? And unexploded ordnance offers a huge safety hazard to anybody that is into that environment. So with the uh, Department of Defense, Uh, each of the different services and the base closure folks, we negotiated the principles of how to approach the reuse of properties that would potentially have unexploded ordnance on it. And I got to tell you, the principles lasted for quite a while, and some great reuse of property was done. Wildlife refugees have been created, because that's a, a great way to do it. You can create paths for people to enjoy nature, So there are creative ways to reuse this property without costing billions of dollars for the cleanup. I was really glad to be able to do that. It kind of happened because my boss at the time, I just had a baby and his first child. And so he took paternity leave at the time when all of this was starting, and I was his deputy. And so I stepped in with it. Now, I was ready to hand it all back to him when he came back to work. But uh, with his great coaching and mentoring and encouragement, uh, I was able to stick with those full negotiations, and we finished those things up. So that was it was very exciting to do that. Let me jump and, in real quick on that job. That was your first job. So out of college, you did the internship, and then you worked at Booz Allen, and then you got experience at EPA through a Booz Allen contract, and eventually you were hired at EPA. Mm-hmm. Is that the right, mm-hmm. if you will? 
You got it, Jason. That's and exactly how it happened. So was your background then in environmental at all or you just you, you came with a background of what? Talking to people, but I don't think you get a degree in that. <laughs> we, um, well, my, as a journalist, we do. So, you know. <laughs> I, you know what? I wish that I had liked writing better. Perhaps I would have gone that direction, Jason. No, for me, I had a liberal arts degree. I have a Bachelor of Arts in economics. So critical thinking skills. I happen to have also taken a number of public speaking skills, which led me to be easily situated to start working on negotiation and conflict management skills. And in fact, that same boss, uh, who I still stay in touch with, who I adore, because he was just such a great mentor to me, and he saw things in me and and pushed me in ways that I probably wouldn't have pushed myself, because I didn't see that in myself at the time. I was much younger than I am now. And that is, is that I know how it started, and I remember those moments, is he had gotten a flyer for conflict management skills for women, and he handed it to me in, in all my great attitude and maybe less graciousness than I have now. He handed it to me, and I'm like, and what's this for? <laughs> and I think he gave me a look of, and that's my point. I think that's why you need to go to this conflict management class. And I went to that class, and I can tell you it was definitely a pivot point for me and learning how to negotiate without involving my personal emotions in the effort. It's about what is it that we need to achieve for joint goals, not just my goals or not just the goals of the EPA, but what makes sense on behalf of the federal government between DOD and EPA. And so what I did is I I grew up doing budget. I did execution as well as formulation. I learned how to do a little bit of programming and how to use computers to help move information from around the country, very early stages of this, right? So I used a prime computer, I'm giving away my age here, and we had the five and a quarter disks that we sent around, and I would program against that in order to write budget justifications with actual data. And, and so each time, I was given more and more responsibility, more and more challenge, and in that sparked just a lot of growth within me, as well as people coaching me, and sometimes maybe just sitting me down to have a heart-to-heart conversation, which is a little bit more than coaching, uh, and just listening and learning every step of the way. I've been very fortunate in my entire career to have great leaders around me, leaders that have taken an interest in my development, even when I might have been a little sassy about it, and given more and more responsibilities and more and more challenges. And I've just tried my hardest to to meet those challenges and then seek help when I feel like I'm losing my confidence in meeting those challenges. Very well said. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue the conversation about your time at NASA as well. My guest is Renee Wynn, the Mm -hmm. outgoing chief information officer at NASA. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Renee Wynn, the outgoing NASA Chief Information Officer. Renee, this is an exit interview of sorts, so we're catching up on some of the things you've done during your career. You gave us a a nice uh, historical lesson about your time at EPA. You spent almost uh, 25 years there and how you got there and and some of the work you did. Let's talk about NASA now. You've been there almost five years. How did you end up going from EPA to NASA? And then talk a little bit about some of the things you accomplished while at NASA. Well, I got to NASA because Larry Sweet was looking for a deputy, and so I reached out to him while I was at EPA because I was thinking, well, you know, I've only got a few years left with my career. How do I get better at 
a leader and how do I learn more about managing IT? And so I heard that there was a deputy position open at NASA. I spoke with Larry Sweet about what he wanted to see in his deputy, which aligned with a few of my skills, but I also heard in what Larry described as an opportunity for me to learn and get better. When I got to NASA, it was a little bit of a different story. In the time frame of talking to Larry about what he was seeking in a deputy and the hiring process, which was just a few months, it actually was fairly short, but it was enough time where Larry's plans had become crystallized and he was thinking about retiring. So when I got here, he says, hey, I'm thinking about retiring. I said, oh, that's great. Good for you. Whatever you want to do, I'm here to support you and I'll help whoever's going to come in and be the CIO, get situated as best I can, but I've not really been at NASA for very long, but I'll give you my best. So Larry came back a couple of weeks later after I'd been on board and he said, well, NASA would like you to be the next CIO. And and I looked at him rather incredulous and went, me? Shouldn't I meet some of the folks that think they want me as the NASA CIO? Larry said, you know, yeah, that's a great idea. Why don't you go up and and meet some of the folks? Because I hadn't had a chance. NASA is a global organization, right? And some of the folks just hadn't been in the headquarters office Uh, during my, at that point, very short tenure here at NASA. So Larry agreed with that, and and I went up and I spoke to folks. And it's that when it was revealed that they said, well, when they were recruiting the deputy for Larry, they were thinking about whether this individual could serve as the NASA CIO. So I was let in on that little secret that probably would have been good to know sooner, or maybe not, right? I don't know that I would have, like, dove into that job interview as much as I did if I had thought that it was a different job. So I said, Lay, listen, let me think about it a little bit. And well, I actually did sort of say, me? Why me? I I can barely even remember what the NASA letters stand for when I get grilled because I've been at EPA for 25 years and I mix up my A's very, very quickly, except the first A in NASA has always been aeronautics and I always got that right. And So I just said, well, let me think about it. And I know I kind of thought about it, and I looked around at the team, and I figured that with the team that Larry had put in place, and there's some outstanding people, that as long as I leaned hard on the team to really help me, then maybe I had a chance of success. And if I wasn't succeeding very well, then I could always try and find another job if that was necessary. And so I just embraced the opportunity I was really afraid. I was definitely very scared because I didn't want to hurt NASA's reputation. And it was about that time that I was starting to dig into the cybersecurity posture, and I was looking at the data, and I was asking questions about the data, and the looks around the face and the answers that I were getting was making me a little nervous. And the answers were, well, this is what we do on the corporate network. And I'm like, okay, so what other networks exist? And that's when I learned about the complex mission networks that agency has. We've got a lot of physical assets, our ground stations, obviously HVAC systems. We have some pretty sophisticated systems for freezing and warming things up, right? Those are all connected to IT, and they need to be monitored. And so as I dug into what was going on around NASA 
how we managed IT, I began to get my confidence because I had at least been at, at EPA trained in some of the basics, how to gain information from people, how to help them be better, how to pull teams together to accomplish things. And when I talk about teams, I'm talking about contractor and federal employee teams. Those are the most productive if you get everybody working really together and it's very clear where you're trying to drive things. And so that's when I started to gain my sea legs, as they said, and confidence that I actually thought that I could do the job at least for the first few years. And so, you know, a few years turned into four plus, and I'm excited about what I've been able to do here at, at NASA with our cyber posture. You know, as you know, Jason, we are measured by the Department of Homeland Security and Office of Management and Budget when it comes to cybersecurity, and I've been able to watch our metrics just get better and better, and I'm just really proud of that effort, and I'm proud because of the people that did the work, that cooperated, that became part of making a difference in our cyber posture. It did help that the White House and OMB were rather straightforward with us in terms of what was expected, um, so that was a, a little bit of help as well, but I would say that largely it was the team across NASA that made all of this possible, and we went from a high-risk posture to a managing risk now. I say all of this. There's still so much more that we need to be doing, and I, I believe that I'm leaving for the next CIO a good place for him or her to build from. I want to go back to a point you made about getting kind of your sea legs as a CIO, and it was really around cybersecurity. As, as you well know, We've done a lot of coverage of NASA cybersecurity and some of the challenges you guys have had. But at one point, and, and I think you were very much celebrated in the federal community for doing this, is you decided not to sign an authority to operate for a very specific system. And, and that really raised the level of concern with you that you had both internally but also with your contractor. Was that the point, and that was probably, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, 2015 or maybe 2016 when, when that kind of news came out, was that was that the point when you said we've got to make some change? We've got to we've got to make this. We've got to fix these cyber problems. That was certainly an awakening or enlightenment moment. And I'm going to add some context to that, and then maybe shine a light on a couple other points that helped illuminate some things for me. So at that moment, when I was being briefed on whether I should sign the authority to operate for all the computers at NASA, my two advisors, the deputy CISO, came and met with me. And at this point, I had a cybersecurity advisor. So this was in 2016. And I asked them, you guys have reviewed the document. Tell me about the risk that you see and has it been described in the document? And both of them said quite pointedly, Renee, from what we've read, we not quite sure what the risks are because we haven't been able to document them all. I went, all right, check for understanding, right? It's the first thing you need to do. And they agreed with what I said. I said, well, if that's what you're saying, and an authority to operate is a document where you are signing to say, I understand the risks, and I am signing to say that. Jason, I couldn't sign that. I couldn't say I knew what the risks were. And so I said, I asked them, I said, so what are my options? Well, they have to have an authority to operate. 
I said, but having to have that document means I have to sign something that isn't, I don't know anything about, so my signature would be false and it would be bad for NASA because what if there's a breach the next day and then I signed it and I knew that there were unknown risks? I said, that's, that's not good. And they said, well, then your other option is not to sign it. And I went, okay, and what are the impacts of that? Well, there are a lot of impacts. And I said, okay, let's do this. I'm not signing it, and I will tell people that I'm not signing it, including my bosses, the administrator. And then what I want is I want a plan in two weeks. Everybody's back in front of me, and I want the risks characterized. And so that's what happened. And so I was able to, after two weeks, characterize the risks to know what I was signing and and know what I'm signing based on the advice of professionals. And so that was a moment where I felt like, yes, I think there are some things that I can do for the benefit of NASA to protect our great reputation and to protect our people and to protect our contractors. There's all sorts of data running across our network and through our computers. It is my responsibility to give them my best and protect that information as best I can. What was the reaction from, uh, I think at the time it was Administrator Bolden was the head of NASA. What was the reaction from him and some of the other folks that you answered to when you made that call? They supported my decision. The one thing that NASA does, does well, we understand risks. The things we do, we take risk with human lives, calculated risk. We look at those risks. We examine them. We identify them. That's what we do. That's what's been so great about NASA is being able to see risk better and to be able to characterize that risk better and to articulate those consequences better. And it's not that you don't take action when there are risks. It's taking action knowing those risks and understanding them and mitigating them as best as one can. And so both Charlie and Robert Lightfoot were, if, if that's your decision, then, you know, and you've got a plan to get it better, then that's your decision that you've made. It's my job. Yeah. And so that's where we went with it. And we got a, a really good first get well plan from my team and our vendors team. We, NASA was in the middle of this too, right? It, the way it works is we are a partner between our contractors and our federal employees, and it is up to that partnership to achieve things that are in the contract and serve the mission. And if one is not operating to hold the other accountable to meeting that, then both are at fault. And so my team was part of this issue, and then we have worked diligently to work through partnerships with our contractors to work through gaining our best, to give cybersecurity a voice, and to begin to truly understand NASA cyber posture. And when I say that, I am also including our mission networks. And that was the other place where I had an aha moment is all the conversations my first year were corporate or enterprise, corporate or enterprise. And I kindly finally said, coming from EPA with a very, very different footprint in the network, I finally said, how come you keep telling me about this corporate enterprise network? 
isn't that the whole thing? And that's when they went, uh, no, you have a lot of networks here at NASA. In fact, you have a global network. Oh, and by the way, we run the Internet too. And I went, you know, these would be all good things you guys should have told me a long time ago, but shame on me for not asking. So I'm going to be on fire with my questions, and I'm looking to you guys to be my teacher so that we can, in a methodical way, do better for NASA. All right, Renee, there's a lot more to talk about. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest is Renee Wynn, the NASA Chief Information Officer. I'm your host, Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Renee Wynn, the outgoing Chief Information Officer at NASA. Renee, this is part of our exit interview, and one of the things I want to make sure we touch upon is the to-do list. What is the list going to look like for the next NASA CIO? Where are you putting it? Is it in the top desk drawer? Are you leaving it by email? Is there some kind of you know special handwritten note that all NASA CIOs leave to the next one? Give me a sense of, of what, what that to-do list looks like. Well, the to-do list is written in a secret decoder ring so nobody else can see it. And so the transition from one to the other is as secret as we can keep. No, that's not the case at all. What I'm doing is is I will obviously leave my personal information. So if there's any questions that the individual may have, like, what were you thinking when you did this? Or uh, just to check in to see how things are going and how the people are doing. The to-do list for the next CIO is actually fairly large, and it's filled with great opportunity. I discussed a little bit earlier in this interview about the transformation we are doing at NASA, about the IT resources, the dollars, and the people fully reporting to the NASA CIO. We are using this as an opportunity to rethink how we deliver IT to the agency, and I've been working very closely with my deputy and our program manager for this effort trying to really think differently and set NASA up to have a CIO organization that is of the future, not the past. And so I've been able to work with the team to, you know, blank sheet this, blank sheet this, blank sheet this, and we are really coming along with using a blank sheet to reimagine what we ought to look like. And then from the July to the December timeframe, they will have to, write that out as an organization, you know, put the boxes on the piece of paper and develop the implementation plan of how do we go from our current state to our to our 2B state after the the decision says that that the agency blesses our 2B state. And so that decision is in December and in July is the decision where we say here's our this is our current state and here's where we're thinking of where we want to go. Everybody comments and shapes it, and then you'll spend from July to December crafting your implementation plan, refining what you need to look like in the future. And if that gets accepted in December of 2020, then that next CIO will then be doing the implementation plan over probably the next year and a half to two years from December 2020 to get to all of the details that would be necessary to make the full change, full set of changes. So so let me jump in real quick. That's a huge list. Let me jump in real quick because one of the things that just comes to mind is the the NASA, like every other agency, just submitted their 2021 budget request to Congress, mm-hmm. knowing that this implementation will, will really get going in 2021, given the time frame you just laid out. Did you guys put any kind of requests in the 2021 budget for this implementation, transition, this change? 
No, we did not. Most of what we put in there are things that we need to be doing as a CIO organization. From a budget perspective, the idea is we take our current resources, let's get those quantified in the number of people, what contracts, how many dollars that we've got in order to get ourselves situated. As we move through our decision process, then it may become illuminated to the next CIO that there might need to be some initiatives in the 2022 process. But implementation year, the way we've been sharing this with our people is day one, let's just say January 6, 2021, is not going to be that different from December 15, 2020, because it's not an immediate change. It's a big, it's huge. We've got all of our centers are all going to be affected. But by month three, you should start to see those differences. So from a budget perspective, our tact was, hey, we're just going to be pulling all the dust together and, you know, what do we have and what do we need to do? 2022 may be the time where we've got to illuminate some gaps in what we're doing. So I, I don't think we missed an opportunity at all in the 2021 budget. I think what we're going to be doing is learning a lot in the implementation years, and we'll be able to inform the 2022 process as we go forward on that one. And in in many ways, this stems from the Federal IT Acquisition Reform Act and the work you guys have been doing over the last year. I remember talking to you probably last October timeframe when you said, hey, we're we're close to getting a, a memo signed by the administrator, which would then kind of kick this in motion to say, yes, the NASA headquarters CIO is the CIO, and everyone will start reporting uh, budget, people, resources, et cetera, up to that position. So this has been ongoing for the better part of a year now, I would imagine. That is correct. We started this in April of 2019 is when we officially kicked off, although we'd been thinking about it for a while. And, and so now we are in the throes of that effort right now. The team, we had a meeting at the end of January And then the work group leads for our transformation met the following week uh, at our Kennedy Space Center, and they came away with what, what I thought was alignment of about 70 people on the model that the NASA needs to be thinking about for delivering IT to the agency. And I can tell you my view looking at that, it they are thinking about how do we set NASA up for future success. We've got some exciting missions going on, and so IT needs to be agile. We need to be customer-focused. We need to be delivering value, and we need to move from being a functional area to a business provider to our partners across the mission and mission support, and the team is really beginning to think that way. I think it's so exciting, and it's going to be a lot of work for the next CIO. All right, Renee, there's a lot more to talk about. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest is Renee Wynn, the NASA Chief Information Officer. I'm your host, Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. Federal News Network, helping feds meet their mission. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Renee Wynn, the outgoing Chief Information Officer at NASA. Renee, this is part of our exit interview, and let's continue down that path for the next CIO. You mentioned cybersecurity is work that's never finished, always getting bigger threats. What are some other things on that next CIO's to-do list? There are two more things. We are just started 
an effort now in January with my deputy, and that is a customer experience focus. We are going to be assigning an individual soon to be named. We're working through the HR process now to lead an effort across our different program areas, applications, end user support, communications, you know, typical CIO ways that we divide ourselves up and work across that to deliver a much better, more value-add customer experience. I'm very excited that we got this started, that we're not waiting until our transformation project to rethink customer experience. I've, I've focused on cybersecurity. It made me scared what I saw on our network. I want to protect our reputation. Um, there are strategic reasons why you needed to manage cyber risk differently. And so I have been able to deliver an improved posture to the agency and, I hope, has made it so it's much easier for the next CIO for cyber to keep going and getting better and better. And we've got some great leaders in that area. And then this next one can focus on the transformation and bringing to life a true customer experience that NASA deserves. And there's a following piece, which actually two more pieces that I, I, I love these areas and I do wish that I was staying for these, but it's just not the decision I made. One is supply chain risk management and an agency full lifecycle management for software. These are the things that I really wanted to share with you earlier, Jason, but because the decisions hadn't been quite made yet, I didn't want to be premature and jinx myself. The agency has, has embraced rolling out and building a program on full lifecycle management for software from I'd like this software to do X all the way to I don't need this software anymore and then we decommission it off our network. Looks at configuration. It looks at better enterprise software management, licensing management for the agency and we're going to be building into that and growing, continuing to grow our supply chain risk management program. Software has embedded in it um, some serious threats to NASA, to our intellectual property, and to the United States government. So both of those two initiatives are to work together as well as grow themselves so that we can move at the pace of business to ensure that NASA's intellectual property, the intellectual property that we are trusted with by our external partners, are kept safe and secure can you offer a little bit more about the supply chain risk management? What's that program going to look like, at least initially? So, yeah, so we've started it already. We've got about a year under our belt. As, as any program, when you start, that first year is a lot, of, a lot of effort. So what we've been able to do, and we've got some uh, great contractor support in this area, is, is take a look at our software, and we do rely on FBI reports, and see, understand perhaps where it was coded, and other things about it, not just it's this company, but what happened in designing that software and making that software function and checking all that, how it functions also to make sure there are no bad or nefarious executables buried in that. So we do it in a lot of different ways. We rely on other people's information. These, and when I say that, it's not just somebody off the street. These are reliable sources to give you information in a classified environment. And then we're taking that information and we're turning it into a red, green, yellow approach. And not to oversimplify something that is very complicated, but you could check a dashboard. And if you wanted to buy software X 
and it had a green light, then my software purchasers could proceed because they know that the software has had a check and it's in the green. Now, it doesn't mean the software always stays there, so we are going to ask people to go back to that dashboard whenever, if they want to buy more of X, go back because it might be yellow, because we may have seen something or in a classified environment been told about something that we didn't know before, and now you need to be much, um, when you take a look at the controls associated with the software, you're in a yellow state, which means you're going to take a lot more careful look at it. You may want to have spend more time in a dev environment just to see how it reacts. And so we've got some great folks making it. I can't grow this program fast enough. We are getting that kind of support in the agency associated with taking a look at it. The NASA Chief Information Security Officer, Mike Witt, has done a number of things to scale that capability, and it's hard to keep up because everyone uses software. It's exciting. I'm looking forward to hearing how it is. One of the things when you talk about the, the to-do list, and, and never ends, I mean, you, you, there is the, the, always the pieces of the infrastructure piece and the mission piece. Is the one really key to, to the success that you've seen over the last you know four or five years is be able to talk to the mission. I've heard time and again that you're somebody who does not sit in Washington and wait for people to come to you. You are very much, you go to the centers, you visit the centers. And maybe other CIOs did that, maybe not. But the point is, is that success comes from understanding the problems and then being seen as somebody who can solve problems, not just someone who goes, yep, that's a problem. Good luck. <laughs> Give me a sense of what advice you would have for the next CIO outside of the, this to-do list. From my perspective, understanding how the mission works helps you be successful. So I would say to the next CIO, make sure that you have a strong connection to the leaders of each of our mission directorates, to have a strong connection, obviously, to our mission support, to NASA's administrator's office, as well as within the centers themselves, uh, down to anyone Really, it is all about building that trust, both on your own credibility to deliver to the agency, as well as building that I'm not like this mean CIO that always says no, but it also allows people to see that you're human and that you're willing to engage and learn, and you're willing to admit when you've made mistakes along the way. And that builds trust in a different way, not just the professional credibility that I needed to build, but also that trust relationship in order to serve the mission. All right, very cool. Unfortunately, though, we are out of time. So let me thank my guest. Renee Wynn is the outgoing NASA Chief Information Officer. Renee, thank you so much for your time today. And of course, thank you for your service to the country. Great, Jason. Thank you very much. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.